really excited to share with you a conversation with a guy who probably shouldn't even have given me the time of day and uh, definitely shouldn't have answered my call. But hey, I'm glad he did. Maybe he did it accidentally. Who knows? His name is Trinity Jordan. Trinity is an assistant U.S. District Attorney. He's a law professor at Miami University, three times an author, and a church pioneer. I am so thankful to Trinity for taking the time and sharing his story with me. I think it was an incredible conversation. I really hope you enjoy it. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Trinity Jordan. Maybe we can walk that road again. Look at that drinking a coke huh dude cherry coca-cola like uh zero is the best right coke it zero is. cherry yeah i like it i like it so i see there's so many different things going on you got the denver hat on but you're in utah right yeah yep so. i'm in utah my my mom is roughly from colorado so i've always grown up with my dad's from Chicago. My mom's from Colorado. So I, I'm this split personality of sports extremes, the Denver Broncos and the Chicago Cubs. There you go. Come on. That's crazy. So I, I saw that you were a Cubs fan and I was like, okay, kindred spirit there. I'm a Cubs fan as well. So we can, you know, have that same heartfelt pain, you know, but yes. I had to have a Broncos fan as well. You're in a, a little bit of hurt right now. No, dude, we, we're terrible right now. We're terrible <laughs> right now. But I mean, look, I'd rather be terrible right now and like developing young players than thinking I'm really good Yeah, with uh, like the Chicago Bears and just being bad. They're just absolutely terrible. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm this, I can't watch anymore. I actually haven't watched the last three games because I can't. I just, uh, it's. Dude, you're literally not missing anything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So let's get into your story. We were talking a little bit and you, uh, I, I assume that you grew up in Utah because that's where you live now. But you just mentioned that you grew up in Italy. Yeah. So uh, my my parents divorced when I was really little. I don't even remember my parents together, but uh, my stepdad worked for the government. OK. And so we moved to uh, Italy um, I'm like, I started school in Italy, um, I lived in, and my brother was born in Italy and we didn't move to the U S until was it, uh, was I going into sixth grade and we okay. moved to California. And then because my, my stepdad worked for the government, we lived in a different state. I went to a different school and lived in a different state from the time sixth grade until I graduated high school. Really? Um, wow. Yeah. And then my, like I said, my parents were divorced. So my, I would bounce back and forth between my mom and my sure. dad's house. And, uh, it's kind of a crazy story how my dad ended up in Utah because he had grown up in Chicago his whole life. And like, my dad's got like this crazy background story where his parents met at a blind boarding school in East St. Louis and then raised a family in the projects of Chicago, five kids, both of them, my grandparents blind, living, like trying to like grow up, you know, grow a family in the fifties and sixties, early sixties. And then he had an, uh, a friend who was blind who moved to Utah. It was a Mormon guy okay, and got to, to Utah and told him like, Hey, listen, the Mormons are nicer to people with disabilities. Hmm. And my grandfather had a degree 
uh, was living in Chicago, wanted to, to be a, a teacher. That was like his goal. He wanted sure. to be a teacher, but nobody was hiring a blind guy to be a teacher back in the fifties and sixties. Yeah. And, um, so he was, you know, like cleaning, cleaning, uh, buildings in downtown Chicago, like the ashtrays and he was a janitor and stuff walking around with this, uh, you know, he had a photographic memory of history and he was selling hot dogs outside, uh, you know, the stadiums there, uh, Dang, to make that's crazy. and so he moved to Utah, brought his family out to Utah, um, ended up, I mean, I tell people this part of the story and they're like, what? And my grandfather went back to school and a time when computer programming was like, nobody was really doing that. And he sure. was a blind guy doing yeah. computer programming. <laughs> Uh, like some of the first thing computers were ever like talking to you uh, ended up getting another degree in computer programming and then went and worked for the state of Utah doing computer programming. Um, and so my dad, my dad kind of settled in Utah with when his, cause his dad was settling in Utah. Sure, and sure. so that's how, that's how my family had a connection to Utah was because of that. But I was bouncing all over the country and the world and everything else. Wow. That's just talking about your grandfather, that's crazy that he was able to learn all that stuff and be at the front edge. Like that's really, really crazy. Like he had oh, to it have was, some battles for sure to, to oh, figure it all out. For sure. You know, and he never was upset with the world. He never was, you know, throwing his fist up and being like, man, you guys are discriminating against me. You're treating me bad. Even though, sure. you know, you're looking at it now, I'm like, what the heck? I, yeah. I see it. And, um, but what I remember my grand, my grandfather, he's passed away now, but is before we had audible and all books on, you know, audio right. for us to just at the drop of our phones, uh, the, the center for the blind, I think it's based in DC. They would send out for free to blind people across the country. You could get like pretty much any book on these tapes, really you get like a free record, um, like, um, a tape player as well. You get these free tape players. And so all of my memories are my grandfather laying on his bed, listening to these books on tape back wow. before anybody was doing books on tape. Right, I mean, the only right, people who yeah. were doing it were blind people. <laughs> and so he was, he would listen to, I mean, he had a photographic memory too. So then you would come in and you would ask him about history or this or that. And he would just tell you everything you wanted to know about whatever the subject was. Wow. And it was, uh, uh, just kind of amazing, you know, to talk to him and my love for history, my love of kind of understanding things and wanting to learn things, uh, was really came from him. Yeah. I mean, obviously he passed down some perseverance. I was reading through a little bit of, uh, kind of your bio. Cause you have a little bio on the, on the interwebs, you know? So <laughs> I got, uh, we got church planner, we got author with two books and uh, and we got uh, attorney, U.S. District Attorney, correct, right? And uh, law professor, assistant U.S. Attorney. Okay. <laughs> Holy smokes! I mean, my goodness, there's so much that we could go into. I was I was looking at this and I was like, I'm not prepared for that. I'm not smart enough to be in this conversation. No, no, no. Whatever, man. It's man. We we're we're just listen. Everybody is just a centerfold. Like mm. it's all airbrushed and, yeah. and, uh, you know, made to look good. So yeah. when it's finally pub published, it looks really good. Yeah. But in real life, you know, it's just like everybody else. Sure. So you think kind of the drive <laughs> that you have to do all of that stuff. Cause like, you know, you planted this church and grew it and then made this massive switch over to law. 
Like that's not a easy thing to do, right? That's a, that's a big decision. What kind of played into that? And also to, you know, write a book is a big thing, you know, it's not a small thing to do and you've written two of them. So that's, I mean, tell me kind of more about that. Yeah. So the book stuff started in the middle of pastoring. Uh, You know, we planted a church in Utah. It was going really good. There was a really good friend of mine who had kind of written this book. It was like a discipleship book that he was kind of peddling to other churches to get them involved in discipleship. And one of the things that was really interesting about this, this discipleship book was all the personal stories that were laced within it. And Hmm. he kind of had this concept of like, Hey, what if, what if you rewrote my personal story and the application side of things? And then we republished this book together. Um, And so, yeah, we did that and it went really, it went really well. And it was, so it was an easy lift for me because he had already done all the work on his side with the, with the background. And I mean, he's PhD, he's a Bible professor, a theologian. Um, So that was easy. And then once you do, here's the trick with books. And I learned this the hard way. Once you publish something, if it does well, then other publishers want to publish yeah. your second book and well, your third book. Yeah. yeah. And so that book sold enough copies initially that another publisher wanted to, to do the next book. And they actually asked me like, Hey, you have an idea for a book. And so um, the market was pretty low on books on church planning mm-hmm. out there. There was like three or four of them, you know, that really were worth anything. And so I just told them like, Hey, what if I put a book together on, on church planting and I gave them kind of an outline and wrote the first chapter and they said, let's do it. So we went and, and, um, that book was pretty easy. I feel like that book wrote itself because it yeah. just was really you sitting down and after you write an outline, you're just kind of telling the stories of, Hey, here's what I learned. Right. Um, right. here's what I did wrong. Here's what I did. I think I did right. Uh, <laughs> here's what, you know, our, just the crazy experience that we had and and here's what I'm seeing other people doing. And here's what I think of, of that, you know, you kind of become just, you know, you're Sean Hannity or, or, or anybody else out there that just gives opinions nonstop. That's all you're doing is writing your opinions down. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of that, that, that second book, um, you know, jumped out there. And then the third book was, I was approached by the publisher of, um, the publisher and again, a different publisher reached out to me and knew that that book was coming out. They, they knew I wasn't locked into a multi-book deal. And, and so they asked me to, to jump in on writing a book and they actually came to me like, Hey, listen, we're listening to your sermons online where we've seen your sermon series. What if we take this sermon series? What if we take that sermon series and turn it into a book? Like they came to me with ideas. Yeah. And I was like, what if I've got something else? I've kind of been jotting some journal things down. What if I took this idea of insecurity and wrote a whole book on insecurity? Hmm. And they were like, Hey, give us a, give us an outline again. So I just put an outline together, gave it to them and they, they offered me a book deal. And that book was the most interesting book because that was the one where you really have to like do some, some heavy lifting on. Yeah. And I tell people this and they don't believe me, but it's that God, honest to God truth. I wrote that book in two weeks. Really? And 
And what I did is I just, I just did a bunch of research ahead of time. And then I sat down for two weeks straight every day for 10 hours and just wrote. Wow. And gave them the manuscript and they, you know, pushed it back to me and we went back and forth, back and forth and finally had something polished. Um, wow. So that was, that was a lot of work. Um, it also came at a time in my life when I didn't have anything to do for two weeks. You know, I don't <laughs> so know. If it I worked do, out, right? I don't, I don't know if I could do that now. Like yeah. there's no way like I could do that now. If you told me to take two weeks off to go write a book, like a bunch of things are going to fall apart in life. So, yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. So the, that's kind of the, the part of that. Um, you asked a bunch of stuff earlier. I don't even remember what the rest, that's the book stuff. Yeah, no, the book stuff, that's super interesting. So you planted the church, you had all this experience, and then you make this shift over to law. And uh, and what what has that been like? We were talking just before, you said you're writing a briefing. Like what kind of goes into your passion for um, making that shift over um, from church to law? And, uh, and even what kind of goes into your, as an assistant U.S. District Attorney? Uh, so what happened was, uh, when I grew up in Italy, there was, we had one television station that was in English and, uh, my, my stepdad would watch, I mean, that, I feel like that television was on all the time. I don't know <laughs> if I ever remember a time that television was not on and it was always on that, that station. And so I remember there was this sitcom that was on, I don't know if you're old enough to remember this sitcom, but there was a sitcom called night court. and uh, it's, all right. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. There was, <laughs> it's all right. It's like it, it, it. But the basically the concept of the of the sitcom it was a, a judge in this. They they would have these courts that would operate at night for people that got picked up at night to have their their arraignments right away, um, and it was kind of this this court where you had the public defender, you had the prosecutor, and you had the judge, and uh, they're it's all petty offenses that are basically being coming in through the New York court at night. Sure. And it was just a com. It was a, it was a sitcom. It was funny. It was a comedy right. thing. Right. And um, so I would watch that and I remember going to, to school and you, you probably did this when you're a kid and they would ask you, Hey, Jeff, what do you want to be? What yeah. do you want to be when you grow up? And you're yeah. like, you know, a firefighter, a police <laughs> officer, you know, like everyone had the same pat answers and asked exactly. Except for me, I was the pretentious little kid that was like, I want to be a judge. <laughs> and, uh, and it was because of night court. And uh, so actually my whole life, I thought I was going to go to law school. Really? It was really more of the, you know, being a pastor and all that stuff was kind of the diversion, really. Interesting. Um, and that that's a whole other crazy, just kind of just the way life meanders for you and, and opportunities that come into your life. You know, you just end up jumping on different rafts and it just takes you different paths. And that's that's how I ended up in the pastoral world. But I always wanted to go to law school. And so when I'm when I was pastoring, I had a moment of just reflection with God on what was going on in my life hmm. and what he wanted me to do. And I really felt like there was this change in this transition that he was calling me to, but I didn't know what it was. And so I went during that time and took the law school admissions test and and I did well on it. And then got offers from law schools to go to law school. And I went to law school and I got a, a scholarship. So it, you know, here I was with a family with kids, it was easy to kind of swallow. Um, and then, uh, you know, I went to law school when I was in my thirties and, uh, my nickname with all my fellow law students was dad. 
because I was the only one with I was the only one with kids and, oh. <laughs> and all my professors, you know, like basically had kids around my kids' age. So uh, I was hanging out with the professors and not not my fellow students as much. And and uh, you know, from there I went and worked for a federal judge. Um, that was a great experience. Uh, my judge was was considered to to be on the Supreme Court of the United States when wow. I was when I was working for him, <clears throat> and then um, and then after that, uh, I was um, offered the position of being the assistant United States attorney for the Southern District of Florida. Um, I went and did that for a little while, and then moved back here to Utah, where my wife is is from, and my dad is still here, so. I am now in just private practice. I'm just okay. a normal lawyer, as they say. Yeah. And uh, so now I've got kind of the experience of, of working for federal judges and working in Department of Justice. And and now I'm a, just a normal lawyer, just a normal lawyer. Just a normal lawyer, just racking up those billable hours, right? Yeah, the worst thing in the world. I don't know what's worse. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's very interesting to me that because most people that I've talked to that have planted a church, that was kind of their dream all along. And it was like, hey, this is this is who I want to be. For me, it was like when I was a little kid, yeah, I probably said I wanted to do construction or something like that, like my dad did, <laughs> you know. But then it was like 13 for me, I was like, no, I want to be in, I want to be in church. And that was my biggest goal to get to that. So that's interesting to me that yours was flipped around law. And almost church was the diversion. Um, and that, I mean, obviously a good diversion, a great thing to give your life to. Um, and now I, I believe you do a lot to help churches still, correct? I do. I mean, I have a, a group that that's called Five Stone that is all about churches. It's all about helping them with their legal compliance. They're uh, making sure that they're able to do what they need to do without having to go hire attorneys. Um, and pay them those high billable hours. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I've recruited a great, a great group of phenomenal attorneys that are top notch attorneys that are working on in that sector to kind of just be more compliance consultants. Sure. Um, and so we do that with five stone. I have a, another group that just helps with just pl- flat out like nonprofit, like getting your, your nonprofit, your church launched yeah. and all the, the, you know, incorporations and sure. the five, one C three filings and, and then on the other side of it too, is I'm, I'm still a pastor at heart. I still like, there's nothing really different when it comes to taking the, the text of scripture and understanding its historical background and its meaning. There's nothing different than that, than there is a lawyer looking at statutes and case hmm. law and interpretations from judges and applying it to a situation. And that's literally what you do as a, as a lawyer. And that's what you do as a pastor, really. Yeah. And so I still, I still teach, uh, churches. I still get to get out there and, and, and be part of, you know, discipleship making when it comes to churches. Yeah. Um, and I still love, I think one of my favorite things to do is just to encourage missionaries and, and pastors and up and coming pastors and church planners on, on just fulfilling their dreams. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I yeah. think that's look, maybe it's a, a divergent, conversation for you and I, but that is, I think you and I are gifted with, with a network in life and certain Mm -hmm. tools. And the reason why I have this network and I have these tools is to help, is to help others around me. And so if I can give that to them so that they can fulfill their dreams or fulfill what God's called them to do, that's why I was given those things. So 
Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I can attest personally to you having that pastor heart and exactly what you said. I mean, we wouldn't be having this conversation without uh, my cousin introducing me to you and saying, hey, talk to my friend. Um, you know, he'll encourage you in ministry. He'll, you know, he'll help you out. And then we had several conversations over a season in my life that was really difficult where I was trying to make some hard decisions. Um, and it was crazy. I remember telling my wife, like, I don't know why this guy's answering my call. He really shouldn't be because I'm just essentially calling to say, Hey, I'm, I'm not really sure what I'm doing. Um, but to me, I think that was a really powerful thing. Like talking through those situations, giving me that advice. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know how you have that. I mean, it's obviously a pastor's heart, but beyond that, it's just a care for people that I sincerely appreciate. Well, man, it, I, I appreciate those those very kind words that you've given me. And I, I wish all of us could. I want others to do that for me. So why wouldn't I do it for, for others? Yeah. And uh, man, I'm just happy to, to to be a cheerleader on your sideline and also to, you know, connect you with whatever. And plus, I mean, if if your cousin is the only person that you're talking to in life that's giving you any advice, we need to help <laughs> <laughs> to, I'm just messing. <laughs> just I got to tell him messing. he's got to listen to this because he took a, a quick little shot at him right there. Nah, he needs to. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. So I know you got to, to get back to uh, lawyer stuff here because, you know, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, but I saw this video and I immediately thought of you because I follow you on Instagram, which everyone should because you got some Utah is a beautiful place. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. Got a hot tub. Shout out. I mean, that was pretty, pretty cool. Um, but I saw this video <laughs> of a mountain lion. And stalking this guy. Have you seen this video on YouTube? Yeah, yeah. It was down in uh, Utah County. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, so like, are you, are you walking those pads? And if so, like, you know, are you going in a group of like 15 people in a caravan or something? Because that was the scariest video I've ever watched in my entire life. Yeah, that was crazy. So I, um, my family, like the house that I live in right now, uh, where I'm at right now, as I can do this interview, we're actually up on the side of the mountain. And so we, we have, I haven't personally seen any mountain lions in my, in my little neck of the woods, but some of my neighbors have. And, uh, specifically one of my neighbors told me they have like a fountain in their front yard. And they said that they walked out one day and there was a mountain lion drinking from the fountain. And, uh, so that was one of those where I was like, well, get rid of that fountain. You know, like, <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's, what do you need? Like, let's get rid of that koi pond, you know, like, yeah. um, uh, stop, stop feeding the animals. Um, so we don't let our dog out without us being around him and supervising him. Cause we just kind of have this fear that there's some mountain lions around here. Um, I I've never been scared by a mountain lion here. I've had deer freak the crap out of me by jumping. <laughs> jumping around and running through my backyard when I'm sitting there drinking coffee. But so I know they exist around here. It's pretty uncommon to have like those mountain lions, like just show up when you're hiking. Yeah. Um, in fact, we saw that video as well that you're talking about that went viral. And I told my wife, I was like, man, I would have picked up rocks and been pelting them at, yes. that, at that thing. Yes, and uh, she's like, "You would have upset them." And I was, so I googled it and looked it up, and I was like, "No, that's that's actually what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to, you know." Yeah, that's one of the things you're. And so, I I don't know what I would have done though. Actually, it's, I think it's easier to make that decision when I'm no watching way. the video versus yeah. having having the thing stalk me. 
Yeah, because that's something all of a sudden, if I'm you and living in Utah, I'm starting to think every hike I go on, a mountain lion may just pop out of nowhere. He didn't throw rocks at it until the end of the video, and that's when it ran away. But he just like looked at it and walked backwards. Like I'm thinking, listen, I'm like a Thanksgiving dinner. I'm a little bit bigger. You know what I mean? Like to this mountain <laughs> lion. So this thing's like, hey, we can feast now. Like I'm terror. I would crippling fear watching the video. So I hope that never happens to you. I'm telling you. Well, look, a lot of my friends here in Utah uh, are, are concealed gun um, permit holders or if they go hiking, you can open carry in the state of Utah. Okay. And so a lot of them will, will have a gun with them. And, you know, I think that that video probably excited my friends like that because all <laughs> of them, that's the reason why I take a gun. Yeah. In case there's a bear or a mountain lion. So they're all probably super excited that that, that exists and want to have a mountain lion. But I, I do not want to, I don't want to, I don't want to have to use a gun, nor do I want to have to have a mountain lion chase me. Never, never. That was the most terrifying video. And immediately I started fasting and praying that you would never have that situation. No, I just, I just thought of you and I was like, I gotta, I gotta address this video because that was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, anything else you want to talk about Utah, man? I, I know about it. <laughs> you're, you're a Utah, you're a Utonian. What is it? Utonian? I don't know what they are. I don't, I don't really know what they are. If uh, if someone is listening to this podcast and they want to become a lawyer, what's the quick pitch to become a lawyer or a quick pitch to never become a lawyer? Man, go to med school. Um, <laughs> that would be my suggestion. If you want to be a lawyer, consider med school. Okay. Uh, you, look, being a lawyer there's a lot of, I mean, I could probably write a book of just like I did for church planning, like everything they didn't tell me about going to law school and, and being a lawyer. I would buy so, that book um, as I, as I would buy your others. Come on. I'm, I, I'm all in. Yeah. Uh, maybe I should. Uh, yes. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta figure that one out, but I would just say this, like the legal profession is a really, really weird profession. Hmm. And what I mean by that is there's no other there's no other profession like this. Everything is ranked within the legal profession. So how well you do on the LSAT gives you a ranking, and that's the law school admissions test. And then law schools are ranked. And based on where you are in that ranking of your LSAT is where you get to go to law school or you know, at least gives you access to where you want to go to law school. And then when you get to law school, where you graduate is ranked. Hmm. And so jobs are given to people that that are at the top of the food chain for their law school class. And so everything's about ranking, 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 ranking. Hmm. Um, so if you do really good on your LSAT, go to a really top school and you do really good at that top school, you're going to get the best job out there when you right. get out of law school. Right. And then that kind of really follows you for the rest of your life in, in law until you build up a resume sure. of what you've done. Um, and so that's what's tough about the the legal world is I think we you can't just like, hey, well, listen, I'm going to just go to law school and get a degree and then I'll be OK. Yeah, maybe like <laughs> you're going to just have a tough time. Like yeah. you're gonna have a tough time starting off. You're gonna have a tough time actually getting a, an initial job. You're going to you're going to grunt. You're going to do some grunt work for a while. Yeah. Um, until you figure it out. Um, 
that's the hard stuff about the law that's different than any profession. There's nothing like this. You're in the doctor world that doesn't exist like that. Sure. So you, that's, that's kind of, that's just the interesting part of it. I think everyone needs to be aware of that when they go into it. And I didn't, I wasn't aware of that right. when I went into it and I didn't understand there's kind of this um, hierarchy that exists and you're going to be judged for the rest of your life on where you went to law school and where you graduated in that law school. And mm. it's, it's really weird. It's really, really, really weird. So it's very, probably difficult to scale up if you have a lower score or if you, you know, kind of skated by in law school because you can't not prove it on experience, especially at the beginning. Like, I feel like well, in other professions, you can skate by and then get to it. And then all of a sudden your experience or, hey, this guy's rising to the top or this girl's rising to the top and we promote you from there. It's not like that. Not always. I mean, look, there's exceptions to all the rules. I'll just give you an example. Supreme Court of the United States, there's not other than now we've got one uh, with uh, Amy Comey Barrett, but everybody else on the Supreme Court went to an Ivy League school hmm. and a top ranked school. So you look at your federal judges in your jurisdiction. I promise you, if you look at where they went to law school, they're probably all went to a law school within the top 20 rankings. Hmm. And so you're not going to find, you're not going to find. So that's the thing. If you want to be a federal judge and that's your dream, I'm going to be a federal judge. Um, you know, and, and you go to a, a non-ranked law school or a law school that's on the bottom of, of the rankings, like your chances of probably being a federal judge don't exist. Like wow. you're, you're in the 2% area. That's, it's weird to me. I don't think that that should be the case. Right. Uh, you know, I teach, I teach law school now. I teach at the university of Miami. I teach a judicial writing class and, um, you know, I've talked to professors who graduated from like Yale law school who te have taught at Yale and taught other places. And they'll tell me, look, the difference between really a top ranked law school and a, and a like bottom ranked law school is that bottom 25%, that bottom 30% mm. of the students. Yeah, they don't have that bottom 30% at a top ranked law school like a right. Yale or a Harvard or a Stanford. Um, but they'll tell you like the top, the top students at all those law schools all are can compete with each other. Right. And right. they're all, you know, you're basically dealing with all the same, yeah. the same type of people. So that's what's interesting about law. I mean, that's the first thing. That's the first thing, as I'll just say, is law. The second thing I'll say is just, there, there's a ton of lawyers out there. <laughs> There's a ton of lawyers and it's a saturated market hmm. um, and it's tough to really break into what you want to do. Sure. So um, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's, it's tough. Yeah. Well, I was able to see some of your reviews from your uh, law students and you got a lot of five stars out there, which I, you know, I expected, I expected, you know, I didn't see any, any, this guy stinks. I saw, Hey, I hope he teaches more classes. So I'm right there with him. I, I can't wait for the book to come out, you know, circa 2021. Here we go. Uh, dude, I got some hot tamales or something too on that, on those things. I don't know who that was. Maybe, maybe some, some students thought I was hot too. That was the only thing I paid attention to. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Thank you so much for your time. I sincerely appreciate it. You no are problem, an buddy. incredible person. Thank you so much, man. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Trinity. 
You know, I'm not sure I've met someone who's had such a wide range of incredible accomplishments and yet is still such a humble person. As I stated in the podcast, he would answer my call and walk with me through different scenarios and situations, really no strings attached. And I'm super thankful for that. And it challenges me to be that for people in my life, to be that type of person who answers calls, who lends a hand with no strings attached. Are you that type of person? Who can you make yourself available to? Thanks for listening to this story. I hope hearing where he's been gives you some hope and wisdom for where you're going. Love you all.